You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Wasn't that a good time of worship? Can we celebrate that? Yeah. We got some cheerers in the audience. That's great. You guys are a little more lively than the first service this morning. We're glad to have you guys. Welcome to North Valley. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at the church. Um, on Fridays, my wife and I get together. We call it Fun Friday, and uh, we make sure to just spend time to, uh, we make it a goal to at least read one good marriage book a year. Uh, here's a book I want to recommend, Rekindling the Romance, Loving the Love of Your Life by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. Uh, Dennis and Barbara have served as mentors uh, to myself and to my wife uh, back in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, through their national and global ministry called Family Life. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. They have marriage conferences as well, uh, and singles I would encourage you to attend as well just to get a big picture uh, for marriage. Uh, But probably no greater text in the world uh, for love and marriage than the Song of Songs, what we're going to be reading and teaching through this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at the honeymoon being continued, the romance and the intimacy. So I'm glad I'm wearing a beard because I will, will be, be blushing throughout this uh, message service and this morning. Um, but it's a great, great opportunity for us first to get a godly vision for what it looks like for sexual intimacy within the context of marriage. Again, I'm not inventing anything new. Somebody said to me the other day, man, I really love your messages. I'm really hearing it in a new way. And I'm thinking, what I, my job is to take something ancient and make it relevant. And uh, that's part of North Valley is we are rooted in Scripture, but yet highly relevant uh, in our uh, teaching and our services and all that stuff. So uh, this morning, what I want to do, though, is we dive into this. I want to read to you this kind of uh, story. Uh, Barbara Rainey writes kind of a case study of a husband and a wife that are trying to rekindle the romance. They are trying to figure out this thing called the art of love and do it well. Uh, She writes this, Dan and his wife Becky found themselves driven by an endless stream of urgent needs during an extra busy season of life, a six-week period with far too many things that were pulling at them, not the least of which were two graduations and a bunch of extra long hours in the work week. Dan and Becky barely had any moments during the day to speak to each other. And Dan decided that he had to act before they ended up on the opposite sides of the world. Um, He suggested that they schedule a few hours alone to talk and celebrate their marriage. One of the best things that Leslie and I do is oftentimes on Fridays, we get together and we pull out our phones and then we work through our calendar because you've got to schedule this uh, to to be connecting and, and, and connect and love and enjoy your friendship and your relationship as a married couple. Uh, So Dan decided to do this. He suggested that they schedule a few hours uh, to celebrate their marriage. After they compared their calendars, they only found a window of time at 5 p.m. on a Thursday. When Dan arrived, Dan was ready. He had carefully thought through their, their brief window of romance. That afternoon, he, in fact, left work early. Uh, He stopped by the store to pick up some fresh grapes and cheese, and at home he rummaged through the kitchen and spotted a silver platter. Uh, which he, he carefully arranged grapes and cheese on the tray, some crackers, and found a few long-stemmed goblets uh, with wine. He added them to finish the presentation. 
When he reached the bedroom, he pulled back the covers on the bed and placed the tray uh, there for, to wait for her. His wife arrived, and in Dan's words, she looked gorgeous. She slipped into bed, and Dan double-checked the door to make sure it was locked. At this point, I'll let Dan finish the story, and Dan writes this. I was standing by the door, I was standing by the clo- by the closed door, and I was so thrilled about the prospect of finally dining together, talking together, and experiencing intimacy with my bride. All of a sudden, I found myself airborne. I had leaped into the bed just like in, like in the matrix where everything slows down and I caught myself in midair where everything slows down to the minuscule movements and I realized that as I was in midair, I was heading towards my wife. Here I am, a naked, balding, middle-aged man propelling myself towards my wife and landing on the silver platter and the goblets and the wine all spills on the bed. Immediately I thought, oh my goodness, what? have I done? Gravity always takes over and I hit the bed like a beached whale. The goblet spewed into air and I couldn't miss the panic look on my wife's face. Shocked, she appeared to be thinking, I'm looking at a land-based shamu. My wife was, to say the least, angry and I was upset. Here we were trying to have a few moments alone and I ruined the mood of romance. We exchanged a few tense words, to say the least, punctuated by tears. And I apologized, and then I quit my efforts to romance her. After I finished cleaning up the mess, I figured we were just done and started to leave. And my wife said, where are you going? I said, well, I just figured we're done for the night. Let me tell you my wife's response. She looked at me and said, silly man, I have intentions for your body tonight. You are a bumbler, to say the least, but you have a heart for me. Get back in bed. You know, when it comes to the art of romance and the art of love, you can feel like a fool sometimes when you mess up. And the graciousness that we see uh, in this storyline is the grace that we need to apply in our own relationships. My hope is, is that you haven't been coming here for the last few weeks and thinking, yeah, why don't you get it together to your spouse? Why don't you act better? Why don't you do this? Because the reality is every single one of us are imperfect, and we're in need of a great, perfect love through the relationship of Jesus Christ. As a single, we learn that and start walking in that. And I'm going to encourage you, those of you that are single, maybe new here today, if you have not listened to the first five messages or so, you've got to listen to those. Um, this morning, we're in for some of the most provocative literature in, in probably in, in the world and as it comes down to a godly vision for what intimacy looks like in the context of marriage. Um, so here's what I want to encourage you to do. As we move forward in the text, and if I start to blush, then just be patient with me. Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Next week, what we're going to see is them move forward from the honeymoon, and they're going to have their first fight. I'm going to tell you the story about one of my big fights on the honeymoon as well in my own marriage. It was quite comical. We can look back and laugh now. Uh, But this morning, we're going to look at five principles for the art of love. The first thing that we're going to see is that you need to put your whole heart into it. Solomon says in verse 9 of chapter 4, he says, You have stolen my heart, my sister, and my bride. Sister is a term of endearment. 
that was used during that time in that culture. And he calls her his bride. He sees her as a beautiful woman who is the bride that God has prepared for him. And he says, you've stolen my heart. Heart is used approximately about a thousand times in the scriptures. And it means literally the center of one's emotions, feelings, moods, passions. And he says, you've got it. You know, one of the most popular Bible verses is uh, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And that is absolutely true. You do need to guard your heart uh, in terms of letting your heart go to other things and uh, not to the Lord. But there's two big priorities I want you to grasp is first, you give your heart to God. In fact, the greatest commandment in the Bible is love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. And here, Solomon says, you've stolen my heart. It is a a description of that his whole heart is into this relationship. Unfortunately, one of the most detrimental parts of a marriage can be is a half-hearted spouse, a 50-50 mindset. I'll put my heart in it if you put yours in it. And what Solomon says is, no, I, 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 you've stolen my heart just to look at you. I, I'm visually overwhelmed. I'm emotionally enthralled. I'm physically captivated by you. You've stolen my heart. And he gladly allows her to do that. Uh, I think all women at some level want to be captivating and want to be wanted or romanced or loved and appreciated. And Solomon here teaches us this first principle. You need to put your whole heart into it. Let me ask you a question. Who's got your heart? If your spouse has your heart, then praise God. But if somebody else has your heart, meaning that the center of all your emotions, your feeling, your moods, and your passions, uh, outside of a marriage context, be careful. The Bible says guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Solomon starts this romance pursuit of intimacy, which we're going to see this unfold into uh, the, the palace chamber and see a very... Uh, a beautiful experience of their intimacy outlined in Scripture. But he starts with this confession that she has my heart. I want to read to you just a, a, a quote or a devotional writing that I wrote with, for Leslie and I back in January of 2003. Um, I wrote this. I said, well, today I'm sitting in our living room, Zena, uh, her dog, has propped her head on my leg. Like, where do I have time to write this stuff? Well, today I'm sitting in the living room. Zena, her, her dog, has propped her, uh, her head on my leg. She is so sweet of a boxer. I really enjoyed all the changes that have taken place in my life. The ceremony was great, and I am proud to say that she is my bride. She has my heart. I love being with Leslie. She's my closest friend, and the honeymoon was fantastic. In fact, we're still on it. And we plan to leave Little Rock around 5 p.m. today, and we've got a small cabin reserved on the Red River. It has become clear to me that Leslie has always wanted this kind of relationship. Uh, she has my heart. She may, uh, Lord, here and I pray, Lord, help me to love her with the love that you have, to wash her with the word, to lead her, protect her, and provide for her. She has won my heart. She is the only one in my heart. I was lovesick for, for this girl, and I've been lovesick. And what I've learned is that you just have to continually, guys, work at putting your heart into the relationship. What will distract you from your uh, 
relationship in marriage is other things uh, like work. And work is a great thing. God said he created man, put him in the garden to work, work. But don't give your whole heart to it. Save your heart and give your whole heart to that relationship. Two relationships you put your whole heart into. A relationship with Jesus Christ and a relationship with your spouse or your future spouse. Um, Sometimes we can substitute that and put our kids in front of our spouse, and that's not God's design. If we're going to learn the art of love, we must put our whole heart into it. No 50-50 deal. You put your whole heart into it. The worst thing you can do is be a half-hearted lover towards your spouse. Number two, we're going to learn for the principles of the art of love is we need to simply just take care of ourselves. We need to do the diligence. Look at verse 10. He says, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. Again, he repeats that term of infection and endearment. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? Solomon is the wisest and the wealthiest. She has a vineyard that she takes care of. They know wine, fine wine. And he says, your love is better than wine. And the fragrance of your perfumes more than any spice. This gal might have been into essential oils before essential oils was essential oils. My wife loves essential oils, got me into it. Uh, She's got me into this thing called clergy sage. I was like, appropriate, I'm a pastor, I'm clergy, so that's really cool. Uh, Solomon's intrigued by her that she takes care of herself. The love is delightful, it's pleasing, perfume, she smells good. She takes baths, she perfumes herself, she's attractive. Um, There's an importance in taking care of yourself. Uh, Leslie takes this very seriously. Uh, She's recently got into this thing called kickboxing. I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we getting into, babe? She gets into kickboxing. She's physically fit. You know, I love that. I love that side. Uh, So last night she says to me, hey, can you you want me to show you a few moves? I'm like, "Uh, do I have an option here? (laughs) She says, yeah. I said, okay, sure, fine. So she's sitting there, and she starts jabbing a couple jabs at me. Then she does this big spin move, and I just blocked, and I just was afraid I was going to get slugged. So I block, and all of a sudden, she, boom, she hits her arm, falls down, and she's crying. I'm like, I guess I'm stainless steel, baby. I don't know. (laughs) So if you see her holding her arm today, uh, she she works hard at taking care of herself. She's physically fit. Uh, I remember one time early in the marriage, she had this... uh, Goofy T-shirt, not literally like a like a like not a or not like goofy like it was a bad shirt. Like literally, goofy was on it, and she would wear that all the time. I, I, when we first got married, I was like, "Did did like your mom give that to you at your thirteenth birthday?" Uh, she wore that thing all the time, and it had holes. It was tattered and stained, and I was just like, and I asked permission to share this story, and so. I was like, I told her about, I said, sweetie, I'm going to be sharing about this and take care of yourself. You do a really good job in taking care of yourself. You smell good. You look good. You're great. But can I tell the Goofy t-shirt story? And she said, Ryan, that was 10 years ago. Has it, has it traumatized you that much that you, you're going to tell the story 10 years later? I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, she wore this goofy t-shirt and so I'm walking around the house and I'm, I'm just, I'm, it was not very attractive. And so I'm like, sweetie, I like, I take the shirt and I try to hide it. And where's my goofy t-shirt? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, she turns around and we go out and we buy her some great uh, uh, pajamas that are attractive, but she's comfortable and she walks around the house and can be comfortable at the house. Point being, guys, is that you got to take care of yourself. A lot of times what happens in the marriage is you think you take care of yourself before the marriage when you're single, you're buff, and you're beautiful. 
and you see the, the wedding day as you think, well, that's the finish line. I'm going to get to that. And I'm going to be working out all the time. I'm going to be looking beautiful and buff. And then all of a sudden you get to that wedding date and then you just kind of like fall apart. And you don't need to see that wedding date as the finish line. Rather, you need to see that as the starting point. The finish line is when you meet the Lord Jesus face to face and he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Take care of yourself. God gave you a body. He gave you a heart. He gave you a soul. And it is an erroneous idea to try to separate the body from the spiritual and say all that's body and physical is not as important. It's all important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And so we, we glorify God when we take care of ourselves. So, you know, what's interesting to me is I look at the life of Solomon. Solomon is an inventor. He's an intellectual genius. He's the world's wisest and wealthiest. He built gardens. He built palaces. He built the, tam- the temple. He built uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was contained. The glory of God shined through it for the nation of Israel. They would gather and worship. Solomon was a genius in building gardens and oasis, and he's a poet. He com- Prized right here, some of the greatest wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and the Song of Songs. It's interesting to me that uh, Hebrew people have just invented all sorts of things throughout time. Uh, in the first service, I got my words wrong. I said that the Jewish American cardiologist Paul Zoll uh, uh, invented the defibrillator, and I said the peacemaker, and I meant to say the pacemaker. And then somebody came up to me and said, it might be good to have a peacemaker in the marriage, though. Peace, a peacemaker is a pistol. Um, I was like, well, well, we should reschedule a counseling appointment for you. <laughs> uh, all throughout history, here's stainless steel was invented by a Hebrew guy. A capitalism was a, a classical a political economist uh, Along with Adam Smith, they were British Jews. Uh, Google was invented and founded by two gentlemen from Stanford University that are Jewish. And, uh, and did you know Solomon? Look what he creates. He creates something really amazing. Verse 11, let's look at this. He says, your lips uh, drip sweetness as the honeycomb. So she's got a sweet kiss, right? So what does he invent? He says, my bride... Milk and honey are under your tongue. So he says it's sweet, and then he's talking about being under her tongue. Like, what is this? So what is that? Do you know what that is? That's the French kiss. So that's just not taken today. So let's call it this. Let's call it the Hebrew kiss, because he invented it first. Enjoy a Hebrew kiss. If you're going to continue on in your Uh, In experiencing intimacy, the Hebrew kiss is reserved for the beauty in the context of intimacy. If you kiss somebody like on the cheek, that'll move you at some level. But if you give a a Hebrew kiss where you are kissing like a French kiss, and where did we get French kiss? French kiss came out of... uh, After the war, uh, Americans came home, and when they were kissing uh, very intimately, they said, hey, we're kissing like the French because the French are so romantic. And that's how the the French kiss got coined. Uh, But Solomon was before uh, the the French in that regard. So here he is. Encouragement to you is enjoy a Hebrew kiss as lovers. Reserve that for uh, great intimacy. He says, your lips drip sweetness. That's a sweet 
kiss as honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Obviously, they had some kind of uh, detergent, maybe, that smelled really good and outdoorsy. Maybe she sprinkled essential oils in her, in her clothing or something. Fourth thing we're going to see is that Solomon realizes for intimacy and romance to happen, he can't rush it. He can't run into the bedroom like Conan the Barbarian and try to romance his bride. Rather, he understands principally uh, that women are like crockpots and men are like microwaves. And he studies his bride really well and he affirms her, he speaks to her, he cares for her, he uh, caresses her, kisses her, appreciates her, notices her. And so don't rush it. If we're going to, in our marriages, grow in this art of love, you can't rush anything. Um, Here he says, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. She is a virgin. She has waited for him. And multiple times throughout the text, there's been this phrase, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Well, now is the honeymoon and now she's ready. She's ready to fully give herself to her man. And, but Solomon understands, he mentions this and refers to this because it made such a mark on his mind and his heart and his emotions that he mentions it, that you were a girl who waited. Ladies, I want to encourage you, if you have preserved yourself thus far, finish the race, keep going. Preserve yourself because it's one of the greatest gifts that you can share. The more you are sexually intimate outside of the marriage prior to your marriage, the more baggage you bring in. Um, Every single person here needs to understand, though, most of us have made mistakes and fallen short of God's great mark on how to do uh, love, marriage, sex, and intimacy. The good news of the message of God's word is that we can be reborn and made into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they can be made into a new creation. Literally, you can be a born-again virgin. And so my encouragement to you is do not rush it. If you're being pressed, ladies, those of you who are not married, to accelerate your relationship with physical intimacy, push the guy off. It is worth the wait. Um, All of us can take hope and take heart and say, you know what? God's ways are better than our ways. And God always gives us a fresh start. He can always give us a fresh hope. Intimacy and sex in marriage is looked at as a great gift. I understand some of us have literally not experienced that, but Solomon likens her body to a garden, like an oasis, a place of of privacy and uh, refreshment. Like a uh, in that time in the Middle East, there would have been this concept where when uh, uh, wealthy rulers or kings would establish a community, they would build gardens and they would put stone walls around these gardens. And he likens her sexual intimacy to this garden, a, f- a place of refreshing, a, pra- a place of uh, just peace and tranquility and this deep place of love and intimacy. And he says in verse 13, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits and henna and nard and nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon with every kind of incense tree and with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spice. What he's saying in a poetic form is 
She's exotic. She's rare. She's valuable. She's one of a kind. And he appreciates her, and he is taking time. He's not rushing it. He's not demanding her. He is a mutually uh, open communication in relationship. He praises her before he pursues her physically. And he says in verse 15, you are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Uh, She is ready. She is ready for her man. She has waited and she wants to give herself fully to him. Uh, What I enjoy about reading scripture is that it's better than anything else the world has to offer. When you read about this husband-wife relationship, it's a powerful imagery of just doing the relationship right. God doesn't withhold anything. He gives us all the more when we do it according to his ways. The fifth thing that we're going to see is that uh, she is calling to awaken all the senses. She is godly, yet she is sensuous. She uh, is verbal. She takes initiative to communicate. And she says this in verse 16, Awake, north wind. And that word awake, she's used it multiple times uh, when their relationship was heating up in the dating phase. And she would even say to her friends, uh, I do not want to awaken love until it desires. Here for the first time, she says, it's time. It's time to awaken the north wind. That would have been a cool wind that would blow in. And then the south wind would have been a warmer wind that would blow in to Jerusalem and Palestine area. And that combination would really cultivate and bring the right kind of temperature to grow any garden in the Jerusalem area. And she says, awake north wind and come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. A garden is a private place. And in a sense, she is saying, I want you to experience everything that I have to offer and arouse all of our senses. She says, let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. The art of love includes all five senses. You can be creative, you can be biblical, and you can enjoy the very best what God has to offer in the context of marriage for intimacy. Art of love includes taste, touch, sight, sound, smell. That's exactly what she is communicating, that she wants to arouse every single sense. God made you with a physical body. And sometimes what you can think is that, man, if I have these desires uh, and, it, and, it, and it, it might be uh, uh, new, then it could be wrong. My encouragement to you is talk to your spouse. If God's word doesn't prohibit it, uh, then it is absolutely permissible. Um, last week, I gave some conditions about what's appropriate in the bedroom uh, between a husband and a wife. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, Irenaeus was a saint of old, and he said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. Um, Ladies, one of the best ways that you can help your husbands to be fully alive is to completely seek to serve and to satisfy him. And husbands, one of the best ways your spouse can be fully alive is that you seek to serve and to satisfy her needs. What the church needs more than anything is men and women that are fully alive. They have a full throttle heart for God and for 
if you're married, your spouse, and you protect that with great vigilance. Here's what I want to encourage you to think about. This was a question that came to me. Um, it was actually uh, sent to my wife, and I was asked to respond to it. In the course of this series, I've been answering common questions that could be seen as taboo to mention in a church service. But if you're like me, maybe sex education wasn't taught to you by other Christians or your parents. Maybe sex education was taught to you by your friends or TV or the back of a bathroom stall at a truck stop. If that's the case, you need godly, good, biblical education on your sexuality. And that's why we've chosen to do this uh, series in the book of Song of Songs, verse by verse, 11 weeks. Most churches wouldn't touch this. They would do a relationship series that's broad and for everybody to learn and just apply some general principles. We're going verse, verse by verse through this whole book. So you can see the relationship of Solomon and his bride, and they pursue in a relationship and learn the art of attraction, learn the art of dating, learn the art of marriage, learn in the art of love and intimacy. Next week, we're going to learn about the art of conflict. How do you do conflict really well and then resolve your conflict? question came in and says, what if my uh, husband, uh, what if I actually, as a... Uh, uh, a, a woman want more sex than my husband does. Uh, a couple things to consider is, first is answer the question, is it a higher sex drive issue or is it that he never wants to have sex? Um, there's nothing wrong with a woman having a higher sex drive. In fact, the Bible never says that men have higher sex drives. That's a bit more of a myth than it is a reality. Um, there are uh, many of you ladies that feel maybe uncomfortable in your own skin because you feel like, man, I have a higher drive than my husband does, and so does that make me wrong or, or bad? Um, gentlemen, those of you that are married, you need to understand that if your wife feels that way that, and she is that way, that she has a higher drive than you, then it can be incredibly harmful for her soul. It can be hurtful if you don't take uh, steps to heal and help her because what she may feel is unwanted, unloved, undesirable, and, and, and not cherished or wanted by you. Um, again, if the issue is, though, that uh, those of you that are married and the lady has a higher sex drive, uh, she is not wrong at all. The Bible doesn't uh, say that at all. In fact, what we see here in the Song of Songs is a a woman who is incredibly sensuous, very verbal, takes some initiative in the area of physical intimacy. She responds really well, like great paradigm. Awesome. Uh, Solomon as well, he communicates. He's a great paradigm for us to see this art of love. Um, but if your husband never wants to have sex, that's the problem. That's a problem. There could be something there that you need to talk about. Second question is there on your program is, does he have health issues? Um, many men struggle with a low testosterone uh, at a certain season in life, or they might have a thyroid problem, or there might be a, a, a great deal of stress in his work environment, or struggle with depression. And all of those things can affect uh, a person's uh, intimacy and uh, sex drive. And so these are some questions that you need to wrestle with. Uh, additionally, it's just how is he doing emotionally or mentally or spiritually? 
And I'd encourage you to have these conversations in privacy. Do you think, here's another question, do you think that your husband may feel dominated or overpowered by you? What a husband wants to know is that he's respected, that he's cared for, he's respected, deferred to. And if he feels dominated or overpowered by you, then that can push him into passivity and you will perpetuate on accident a cycle of passivity and you're going to continue to struggle with a feeling of rejection. And so I want to encourage you to ask these questions. I've listed a great uh, deal of uh, resources on our website for some of these topics that have come up in this series. I want to encourage you to dive into those, have these conversations. We pray that God would use this series to help and heal marriages Uh, to strengthen a vision for singles, to grasp it like God's ways are good. Uh, And life is real, and we all struggle, and we all blow it, and we all mess up. Uh, But God's ways are always better. Here's another question you might ask is, is there a past hurt that's not been resolved in his life? Uh, When it comes to sexual intimacy, if there's a past hurt, um, um, a bad experience in his adolescence or uh, prior to the marriage, that can really affect and influence his desire for intimacy in the marriage now. Last question to consider is, are there other sexual outlets in his life? Um, recently, I heard a story about a gentleman that came to the Phoenix Valley uh, because he was addicted to pornography. And uh, pornography is like a, a slave master. Once a man or a woman gets into that uh, time and time again, it literally kinds to begin to reshape the wiring of the brain where that person can only be stimulated with that kind of visual uh, representation in pornography. The problem with pornography is it's, it's fake. It's not real life. Um, that's not intimacy. That's sexual excitement. And what can happen to a, a husband is if he gets into this, it can derail uh, his desire from the marriage to outside and create a fantasy world. And likewise, for ladies, can do the same thing. There can additionally be an extramarital affair where it's outside of the marriage and there's a lack of desire. These are conversations that absolutely have hope, though. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter where you find yourself today, the good news of the Bible that Jesus offers is that if we come to him, he wants to take our burdens. He wants to help us out. He wants to heal and restore um, If you're single and you've not been faithful to the Lord, you can come to him and you can be reborn as a virgin again today. Today, we're going to have a time of communion. I want to invite the ushers up and they're going to begin to pass out communion. And I want you to realize this as we take communion today, that no matter where you stand in this area, as we've surfaced uh, sexual intimacy inside marriage, outside of marriage, wherever you find yourself, today, I want to encourage you that you can find forgiveness. Don't forget about forgiveness. Here's what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to, our ushers are going to pass out communion. We're going to take it together. But right now, deep in the heart of your being and in your soul, there could be an issue where you say, I don't know if I'm forgivable for this. I don't know if I can even walk the walk that I, I want to have and I want to do. Well, what you can do is you can just take a step of faith and say, God, if you're willing today, would you just forgive me and make, cleanse me and make me new? I need a fresh start today. I need a fresh start as a single. I need a fresh start as a husband or as a wife. 
to do things more in your way. And today we're going to invite the presence of God to be with us in this time of communion. We can transform a movie theater to a holy place by the gathering of believers coming together. As communion comes around, you need to know this, is that this is a time for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ to do this in remembrance of what Christ has done. It's a time for you to take the opportunity to remember the great love that God offers you, the healing power for your marriage, the healing power and strength to preserve as a single, the healing power to turn around and to keep walking that long, hard road of singleness for a season and trust God in all of this time and say, God, your ways are better than my ways. I need you to fill me up, change my life. And so this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is remember God's great love for you. And in this one cup, there is the bread. And it's a reminder that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, because he loves the world and he offers himself up. His body was broken so that we can be healed. Some of you are walking around today and through the week and this last week, and you say, I've done a lot of bad things and I feel broken on the inside. God's word says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and that he is just and he can cleanse us. And it's by taking in this promise that God's good enough. The reason why Jesus came to die was to save sinners. He didn't come come down here to show off. He came down here to build a bridge for you to experience the greatest intimacy and the joy in your life and through a relationship with Christ. So today, I want to encourage you, let's take this bread together. And remember, this was Christ's body that was broken. And let's take this and remember that he made a sacrifice. Let's eat together. Heavenly Father, we pray right now that as we take this in remembrance of you, that you were broken so that we may be made whole that you built a way. You atoned for sins. And God, we thank you that no matter our past and no matter even our present circumstances, a life with you is always a better future. And so today, Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you and ask that God, uh, by partaking in communion, would you make us whole again? Would you cleanse us? We take the the juice is representative of the forgiveness of sins, uh, Christ's body, where he shed his blood for us as a perfect sacrifice uh, to God, our Heavenly Father, and made a way. And so take this in remembrance of what Christ has done, cleansed you of your sin. Let's take this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ, where we've blown it. God, you extend your hand of grace towards us, not to scold us or to yell at us or tell us that we are such a fool, but to remind us that we have a friend in the relationship of Jesus Christ, that we've been forgiven, that we can be made as white as snow, that we can be reborn again today and dedicate ourselves to you to be pure and spotless and take our sins as far as the east is from the west. We thank you for your forgiveness that you offer through your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.